that the last verse of Amazing Grace is not the original last verse. In the original last verse, we never sing. We have all the lyrics, I believe, in our songbook with the exception of this one verse. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. I like that verse. I wish we sang it. But like I said, it's not in our books, so it's kind of hard to do. But uh, anyway... I thought I would share that one with you. But our lesson for this morning is it, part of our series, The Greatest Gifts of God. And today's lesson is on the gift of grace. Last week we talked about the gift of love. Today we'll talk about the gift of grace. Lord willing, next week um, we'll have a sermon on the gift of eternal life. And then we'll also have a lesson on the gift of God's Son. Uh, as probably one of the most important gifts that we have. But the gift of grace is one of great importance. Without the grace of God, there is nothing that man can do on his own to come close to earning for himself salvation from sin. However, by God's grace, through our faith and obedience to His commands, we are granted full remission of sin. Grace is viewed in different ways by different groups of people. Some minimize the importance of grace for fear of sounding too liberal in the matter. Some overemphasize its importance, putting all of God's or all of grace's work on God and nothing on man. It is important that we teach the concept of grace as it is taught in Scripture. We understand that it is a gift from God, and we should recognize it as such. It is essential to our salvation. Though it is a gift, it does require our obedience to the commands of God. It is important for us to continue in God's grace in order for us to be rewarded with eternity in heaven, with God at the end of this life. I want us to look at grace as a gift from God. Grace is a gift from God. In order to really understand grace, uh, it's important that we start with a definition of some sort, uh, somewhere that we can begin to define what grace is. If you look it up in a, a dictionary, you'll see two or three different definitions of grace, um, some in regard to a worldly view and, and I guess most common, the grace of Christian belief. And as far as Christian belief is concerned, it is defined as the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. First of all, it is a free gift. We do not owe God for giving it to us. He has paid the debt for us, and so we are we're indebted to Him. But there's no way for us to, to pay that debt. It's something that is given by God. And so as far as our owing Him, even though we owe Him everything, at the same time we owe Him nothing. Yeah, unmerited favor. We have done nothing to earn this favor from God. 
And we can never do enough to earn this favor either. So as far as our earning this grace, we cannot earn it. It is not something that we deserve. It is not something that we merit by a number of good deeds or, or anything else. Full knowledge of God's grace is only revealed in the salvation of sinners from their sins. Being saved, we recognize many other blessings from God in our lives that come to us by His grace also. But we cannot fully know what grace is unless we have experienced it. Unless we have been saved by it. And it's not until we are saved that we come to a knowledge. And even then, we're so lacking in, in this knowledge of grace. But even so, we, we come to understand how it works in salvation. Let's look at grace as a gift. It is referred to as a gift. In Ephesians chapter 2, let's read verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. To understand grace as a gift, we must first realize our condition outside of God's grace. And that is referred to in the first few verses of this chapter. Though alive, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Romans 3 and verse 23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all been in that position. may not have been in that position for long as far as from the time that we realized it to the time that we obeyed the gospel. But we've all been in that position where we have found ourselves lost in sin. And though we were living and though we were breathing, we were in a lost condition. We were, in essence, dead to God. Dead to righteousness. 
And there are so many people that walk in the world in that way. They live in darkness. They do not know God. They do not know the ways of God. They do not recognize Him. And so even though they are alive and living and breathing and maybe the, the most healthy human being ever, they're still dead in their sins and trespasses because they are not relying on God. But then we read in verse 4, But God. Whenever you see a, a word such as B-U-T, but, or, or something of that nature, there, there's a big change that is occurring. Those who were once dead in their sins and trespasses, but God, but God. God seeing us with love and compassion, even, even seeing us as we were, saved us through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son from the dead. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. John 3, verses 16 and 17. This was unmerited, as we did nothing to deserve this grace. I think of Noah and the days that he lived in and, and the world around him and the wickedness of it. We read that in Genesis chapter 6 that the wickedness of the world was so great that, that all of their thoughts and everything that they did was against God. It was evil continually. But Noah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now God could have destroyed the world, but He saw something in Noah. He didn't see perfection, because we know that Noah was far from perfect, especially after the ark landed. It was We don't know exactly how much time, but we see that he became drunk, and we see what happened afterwards. Noah wasn't perfect, and God didn't see perfection in him, but He saw something good in him, and He granted him grace. And so Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And in the same way, God doesn't look upon us and see perfection. But He grants us grace. He sees something in us, something good, something that is worth us being alive and serving Him. And so, even though we don't deserve grace, He grants it to us. Grace is given as a gift it is not of works. However, as we find out in the verse following that, we are created in Christ for good works. Though God's unmerited favor is freely given to us, we are still expected to live a life full of good works as an offering of our lives to God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Notice what it says in Titus chapter 2. 
and verses 11 through 14. Titus 2 and beginning with verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We are to deny anything of a worldly nature instead living soberly, righteously, and godly. Our lives are to be filled with good works. We are not saved by our works. No amount of works or good deeds could ever earn our salvation. But we are required in light of grace to still live righteously before God. As a result of God's grace, going back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11, Ephesians 2 and verse 11, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Though we were aliens and strangers to God and to the covenants of promise, through the blood of Christ, we are made one of His own. Again, not because we have merited God's favor in any way or in anything that we have done, but because He loves and cares for us. Grace is a subject that is often misunderstood. And so I want to spend the rest of the time in our lesson uh, dealing with some of the misunderstandings in regard to grace. First of all, as we read Paul's letter to the Romans, we understand that they had the wrong idea regarding grace. They originally thought that they, they should sin more. If they sin more... You get more grace, right? The more you sin, the more grace is bestowed upon you. And that's not how grace was intended. That's not how it works. Paul and his friends and co-workers were accused of teaching this. Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust to inflict wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my life to His glory, 
Why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. This is addressed again in Romans chapter 6 and beginning with verse 1. Where he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Picking up with verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be that, that though you were slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We are given grace not to abound in sin, not to continue living lives in a sinful nature or in a sinful way, but to live lives opposed to it in every aspect. We are to live righteously before God, Christ's blood cleansing us from all unrighteousness. That's not the only misconception of grace. But there are also people who believe that because grace is a gift, then nothing is required in exchange. In a, nothing is required or expected in return. In James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14, and though the word here that is used is, is faith, that's the theme of, of the chapter, the theme of this thought, still grace is involved in, in this as well. In James chapter 2 and verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, 
and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I had a, a good conversation with a friend of mine that comes into work. And, and uh, we were talking about grace. He, he was talking about a class on James. And so they had gotten to this point and And even in teaching this class, he was a little confused because grace and works are mentioned in Ephesians 2. And, and then James chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead. And how do, you, how do you reconcile that? And so I explained to him the difference between works of merit and works of obedience. It was like a light just came on. And he understood. We understand the difference between the different types of works by the context of the passage that we're reading. And though grace doesn't come by works, it is not given according to our works or according to our deeds. Still, faith without works is dead. The difference being works of obedience. There's nothing that we can do to merit grace or salvation but faith without works of obedience is dead going back to Ephesians 2 and verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works works of merit lest anyone should boast for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. These are works of obedience. If there weren't a difference between the types of works here, this passage in and of itself would be a contradiction of itself. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, works of obedience, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so faith, without works, works of obedience, is dead. Grace is provided for us, not of yourselves and not of works. However, we are still created in Christ for good works. Without works of obedience, our faith is dead, such as that of Abraham and Rahab, as they are mentioned here in James 2. And others come to mind as well. Noah, whom we mentioned earlier, Jonah was required to exhibit works of obedience, obeying God. 
Joshua, had, had they not listened to God and done the things that God told them, would the walls of Jericho have fallen? There are so many examples of faith coming through works of obedience. Not something that the people could have done on their own. And neither is salvation. But we are required to show works of obedience. So though we are not saved because of our good works, they are still expected of a Christian. And one last misconception in regard to grace. There are many who believe that one cannot fall from grace. And if someone does by chance become a Christian and they do fall away, usually it's explained, well, they never were a true Christian in the first place. That's not what the Bible teaches. We are taught on many occasions. As a matter of fact, I was going through some notes that, that I had acquired and I found a list of 19 different places that the Bible teaches of someone falling from grace. I won't go through all 19, but I'll give you a short list of some of them. First of all, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20, those who had escaped the pollutions of the world were entangled, overcome, and lost. 2 Peter 2 and verse 20, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It is worse for someone who has known grace, who has known salvation, who has turned away from the world and then somehow they, they stick just close enough to the world that, that, that they get caught up in it again. And they get all tangled up in the world and then they, they, they fall away from God completely. They've known grace. They've known salvation. They've known what it's like to have their sins taken from them and then they fall back into the world. It can happen. And we're told that the latter end is, is worse for them than, than if they had never known it in the first place. One can fall from grace. Even in looking at the parables of Jesus, we see examples of those who had fallen. For example, the one talent man in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. He was a good servant. He was in, as a matter of fact, he was entrusted with something. Not much, but he was entrusted with something. He was entrusted with one talent. And though it wasn't as many as the other two servants, he was entrusted with something by his master. His master trusted him. And yet, the master returns. And what has he done with the one talent? He hasn't done anything with it but bury it. And it's, it's no good that way. He was once a, a faithful servant of his master. A trusted servant of his master. But he fell from his master's grace. 
disputed as to whether or not this one is a parable, but the rich man. He was a, an Israelite, the rich man of Luke 16. And yet we see him in torment because of the way in which he had lived, the way that, that he had treated his fellow man. There are other passages that, that teach of, of those that fell from grace. John, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, in order to wander from the truth, we must have abided in the truth at some point. But if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. One can wander away from the truth and one can also turn back and someone who turns him back saves the sinner. But you can't turn back unless you've been lost. You, you can't turn away unless you've been saved. It must have fallen away. Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fools, shall be in danger of hell, fire, This is speaking to those who knew the law. They knew what it said. You shall not murder. You shall not kill. And yet in attitude, one who is angry with his brother shall be in danger. Not yet guilty, but they're in danger of falling from grace. Finally, Galatians 5, verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ. Again, one who has wandered away must have at some point known Christ. But you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. There you have the very words. So for those that believe that you cannot fall from grace. I, I do believe the scriptures teach against that belief. Those who die in their sin will be separated from Christ eternally. Then Jesus said to them, John chapter 8, beginning with verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. And will die in your sin. Where I go you cannot come. So the Jews said. Will he kill himself? Because he says. Where I go you cannot come. And he said to them. You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. 
For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. One who does not turn away from their sin will die separated from Christ. They'll face an eternity separated from Christ as well. Grace is given to us as a gift from God. We can do nothing to merit God's favor. However, we are expected to live faithfully for Him. Continuing in the good works to, to which we are appointed. Those who live faithfully are rewarded in eternity. That's ultimately something that we look forward to. And we must not misunderstand God's grace. Continuing in sin does not gain us more grace. Though we are not saved by works of merit, God does expect us to continue in works of obedience. And one who is once saved can fall from grace and is in need of repentance and restoration to the fold. Where do you stand in relation to God's grace? Are you saved by God's grace? Can, can you truthfully sing the words? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Can you sing those words in sincerity, knowing that you are saved? That though you were once in the world that you've been taken from it. That you've been granted new life because of God's amazing grace. Or do you find yourself in a position where you are still in the world and maybe you need to turn away from it? Maybe you need to obey the gospel. If that's your need, we'd be glad to help you. Maybe in relation to grace you find that you have fallen from grace. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to be restored. And if you need prayers or to ask for forgiveness for something that you've done, if there's some way that we can help you, then we'd be glad to do so. If you'll come as together we stand. And as we